Jeff sang that in the first service, and I didn't want you guys to miss out. That's for all of the old hearts. And it's especially for those who don't think it applies to them. Uh, i got a couple of pieces of business I need to take care of before I get into the sermon. First of all, today is your last opportunity to come and see Shadowlands, and it's a very good play, and I encourage you to come and see it. Uh, it'll, uh, it'll touch you, touch your heart. Um, and then secondly, speaking of uh, having one's heart touched, uh, this is, uh, we're saying goodbye to uh, Greg and Jenny Wilson this Sunday. Uh, Greg and Jenny came here about four years ago, three years ago, five years ago. He says five, she says three and a half. Yeah, okay, so I'm right. It's, it's what I just said. Uh, and I told, uh, they're going, they're going to be going up to a uh, church in Indian Lake in Hendersonville, which is really kind of a sister church of ours. Um, their pastor there, Aaron Allison, is a very close friend of mine. And, uh, and Greg and Jenny, as many of you know, live in Hendersonville. But um, I, I kind of jokingly said to Greg, but it really was no joke at all. Uh, I said, a lot of churches plant churches, uh, we plant theaters. And... Uh, for those of you who, who don't quite know what that means, I mean, we have a vision for why we have a theater here. And there are not a lot of, not a lot of places where that can be planted, but Church at Indian Lake is one of them. And, uh, and I think it's ready. Greg is ready. God's opened some doors and made some things right for that. So, and they're not leaving us, okay? I mean, they're just not going to be uh, getting the opportunity to listen to my preaching every... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> every Sunday unless they take the time to go online. But uh, you guys come on over here. Greg has also been uh, serving as one of our elders. And uh, Jenny is, uh, let's just say Margaret loves Jenny very much. And a lot of people do. But come down front here. Uh, and all of our elders, all of, all of our staff, and anybody who's on the Salt Theater Council, if you guys had come up here and uh, I think they're going to get far enough away from the table so that you can actually surround them. We're sending them. We're sending them. You don't have to get on a boat or an airplane to be a missionary. I mean, the church at Indian Lake needs missionaries. Oh, God. Yes. Would you all stand and, and stretch your hands out this way as we pray over them? Father, I thank you so much for Greg and Jenny. I pray that you would... Uh, Lord, I thank you that you... You guided their steps here, and I believe that you're guiding their steps now. And I just ask, Lord God, that you would make this a fruitful place for them. Uh, I know that Springhouse has been a fruitful place for them. I pray that, that Indian Lake will be an even more fruitful place for them, Lord God. And Father, the part of the vision that you birthed in this house was vision that was already in Greg, and now he's getting an opportunity to take it somewhere else and birth it somewhere else. And Lord, I believe that vision is from you. And so, Lord, I, I, I look at this as a first fruit. And so, Father, I pray that you would bless this first fruit, Lord. Uh, we give these choice servants to you, to use as you will. They're, they were yours already. They're still yours, Lord God. But, Father, uh, we ask that you would minister through them, that you would use them 
exceedingly abundantly above anything that they can ask or think, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me just mention one other thing. Uh, there's, a, there's a table out in the foyer. If you feel that God is speaking to you to, uh, to get involved, maybe with having a foreign exchange student come and, come and stay with you, uh, that's what this table is about. This is a very good group, very good organization. And, and you know what? Like I said, you don't have to get on a plane or, uh, or a boat to go be a missionary somewhere. When we went to, when we went to Zimbabwe, Margaret ended up getting to teach Christianity in the public schools. Uh, and that wasn't, you know, a full-time job. She went and did it a few hours a week. But in the public schools there, they had to teach a class of religion. And the, uh, uh, the principals could decide what religion it was going to be. Most of them chose Christianity because they felt like it was safe. <laughs> Little did they know. Uh, but uh, M- Margaret, the classes that she would teach, there were students from all over the world, many of them from countries that were not Christian. Many of them had never owned a Bible or read a Bible or heard about Jesus. Uh, and she was able to really plant some, some serious seeds in those lives. Uh, if the Lord is speaking to you about maybe having a, a foreign exchange student come and, and spend, uh, uh, spend a school year with you, I believe it's one school year, is that correct? Spend a school year with you. Uh, stop by the table and, uh, and talk to, to Lynn and Megan. They'd be, they'd be happy to share with you. I know some of you have already done that before, and, and it's, a, it's a great experience. All right. This morning, we're on our uh, second of four weeks about miracles. And this is, this is Jesus' uh, second most famous miracle. Uh, the most famous one is the one that we're going to be Touching on three weeks from now. That's when the big one comes down, the resurrection. But uh, the feeding of the 5,000 is the only other miracle of Christ that appears in all four of the Gospels. Uh, we're familiar with it, but let's stand and, and read one of the passages today, Mark chapter 6, verses 34 through 44. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. By this time, it was late in the day. So his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it is already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take eight months of a man's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, He gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 baskets full of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. Father, I thank you for your word 
I thank you for the life and the light that is in your word. We need it. And so, Father, I pray that we would be open to receiving it today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Like I said, after the resurrection, this is Jesus' most famous miracle. And it really makes sense because after needing life, after wanting eternal life, probably the next thing that preoccupies our mind more than anything else is food. When you get right down to it. And in looking at how to approach this today, I decided let's, let's, go, let's come at it from three different perspectives. Because there's three groups, if you will. Really, one of them's not a group. One of them's just a person uh, that we have to deal with here. And so that's what we're going to do. And the first perspective is, is Jesus' perspective. This is, this is the way that Jesus was looking at it. Now, those of you who were here about three weeks ago are going to see a very similar line on the, on the outline that's in your bulletin to what you saw then. And basically it's this. God cares about everything in your life. You kind of go, well, you, 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 you said that three weeks ago. I know, but not all of you were here three weeks ago. And not all of you who were here three weeks ago were completely here three weeks ago. And not all of you who were here and completely here heard three weeks ago what I had to say. And so this bears repeating again. This is an important thing. God cares about everything in your life. Uh, The passage that we read here today said that when Jesus landed, he saw a large crowd. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. And we're aware of the fact that God wants to teach us. He wants to instruct us. Good parents instruct their children. That's one of the things that they do. Uh, and so we're aware that, yeah, God, God wants to teach me stuff. Teach me, Lord. Lead me. Uh, over in Matthew, where it's talking about this passage, uh, where it's talking about this event, Matthew says, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. And we know that God wants to heal us. We know that God wants us to be whole and, and, and be made completely well, spirit, soul, and body. So we know these things. These are, these are the big things. But, but one of the other things that we need to find out from this passage is that God cares about lunch. God cares about supper. He cares about, about everything in our lives. Uh, Wayne was telling me one time about Don Fento uh, sharing with his church up in, at Belmont. And Don apparently had a, uh, a routine on Sunday nights when he got home of eating ice cream. And he was telling the church that that former Sunday night, I guess it was a Sunday night prior, he had gone home and he started to scoop out ice cream and the Holy Spirit said, what are you doing? And he went, I'm, uh, I'm eating ice cream. You don't, you don't care. I mean, this, you do care, don't you? Put it aside. Now, I'm not saying that God does not want us to eat ice cream. Please hear me. God wants us to eat ice cream. <laughs> wants me to eat ice cream, I'm quite sure. <laughs> but the important thing is, and what, and what Don was, was saying to the people, and what I'm saying to you is, God wants us to listen to him and obey what he says. In everything. And you see, and if, he, if he's got... 
the right, and of course he does, but if he's got the interest to get involved in whether or not you're eating ice cream, then he's got the interest to get involved in anything you have to bring to him. In any need that you have, in anything that's going on in your life. So, from Christ's perspective, God cares about everything in our lives. From Jesus' perspective, this was also a miracle that Jesus had seen many times before. Over in John chapter 9, well, chapter 5, verse 19, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Jesus only did what he saw the Father do. And he had seen the Father do this a bunch of times. Forty years in the wilderness. God didn't just feed 5,000 people. He fed 2 million people every day. Manna. Flowing down from heaven. And then when they, when they wanted meat, the quail came. And, and it, was, you know, it wasn't like they only had two quails and five mannas. You know, they, they, the, the manna came down. They had no quails and no mannas. And manna came every day. And the quails came enough to, 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 to make everybody sick of eating quail. Two million people. During the ministries of Elijah and Elisha, same, same thing. In, in Elisha's day, a, a similar thing happened on a much smaller scale. Uh, he, uh, he had a large group of the sons of the prophets there with him. They didn't have enough bread to feed everybody. He said, serve it. Everybody ate. Everybody was satisfied. There ended up being enough. In, in, in Elijah's day, when he went to the widow of Zarephath, and she said, I've only got enough meal and enough oil to make, make one more meal so that, so that my son and I can eat it and then we'll die. Elijah said, no, 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 invite me. Let, let me come to eat with you and you'll have enough to last until the drought's over, which was going to be a couple of years. And the scripture says that she did and he did. The meal didn't fail. The oil didn't run dry during that time. Jesus had, Jesus had seen this taking place all the time. And you know what? He still sees it taking place. I mean, we think, we, we think that, you know, food comes from the grocery. Or maybe we have more wisdom than that. And we think that food comes from the farm. The food doesn't start at the grocery. It doesn't start at the processing plant. It doesn't start at the farm. The food comes from God, people. Every day, he feeds 7 billion people on the face of the earth. So Jesus had, Jesus had seen, this, seen this taking place before. So from Jesus' perspective, he was just doing what he saw the Father do. And then there's the disciples' perspective. And, and hopefully that's kind of like us. And if we're not disciples, we'll be the people. And that's the next perspective. But the disciples' perspective was this. First of all, the disciples cared. They had compassion on these people. And so they came to Jesus with a plan. They brought a plan to Jesus. You ever bought a plan to God to, to get his stamp on it, <laughs> to, get, to get his signature? Ever forged his signature? <laughs> Woo, that was good. First service didn't get that. Yeah. But that's happened at times. <laughs> uh, I, I like, you know, a lot of people on their email messages have a little 
tagline at the bottom of it. And uh, I like Isaac's tagline. <laughs> and those who, you know, and it, it's, a, it's a Mike Tyson quote. And every pastor wants their youth pastor to tag his email with Mike Tyson <laughs> quotes. I mean, that's... <laughs> but the quote simply says, everybody's got a plan until they get hit. And that's what, you know, they, they, come to, they come to Jesus, they've got this plan, they go, uh, Jesus, hey, know you're enjoying teaching, know that, uh, uh, and it's been good. Look, it's, it's been, this is one of your best sermons, Jesus, but uh, it's getting kind of late, and these people are getting hungry, and we just thought you might want to know that, and we have a plan, send them all away so they can go get something to eat. And you, you know, Jesus is obviously going there. Wow, guys, is that is it that time already? I didn't notice. I, I thank, look, thanks a lot. I, I didn't know that. that yeah, they're, they're getting hungry. Uh, that's a rotten plan, though. You see, first of all, God always knows. You're not ever going to tell him something that he, that he, wasn't, that he wasn't already three or four steps ahead of you on, on something. And in fact, John tends to imply that Jesus really kind of took it to where it was to get these guys to come start asking questions and go, when's, when's dinner? When, when, when is supper? And so they, 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 brought, they brought him a plan. And, you know, we do it. it it's, it's, it's endemic throughout the, throughout the Scripture. Jacob had a plan for getting the blessing. Actually, it was his mother, Rebecca, who had a plan for, for getting him the blessing. And you know what? It worked. The plan worked, but it, oh, the cost. Oh, the price. Sometimes it's better if our plans just don't work. It cost her both of her sons in one day. It, it caused such a, such a riff, such a tear in the fabric of that family because the plan was executed and worked. Moses had a plan for delivering the children of Israel. Very simple. Let's kill Egyptians. So he went out and he kills an Egyptian, tries to start the revolution. That didn't work. That was probably a good thing that that didn't work because that wasn't the way that God wanted to get that done. Peter had a plan. (laughs) Peter had a plan for saving Jesus from the cross. He was a knucklehead. Peter's plan was, hey guys, there are 12 of us and we've got two swords. Let's fight the army. We can take these guys. Come on. It didn't work. Oftentimes our plans don't work. Well, the disciples come to Jesus. They've got a plan for how to do this. But Jesus doesn't go, good plan, guys. Execute it. Put it into motion. No, instead, he said, you give them something to eat. They heard a word from the Lord about what they were supposed to do. And so they went to step two. Step one is we come up with our own plan on our own because we think something needs to be done. Step two, God tells us something needs to be done, and then we come up with our own plan on how to make this happen that God has told us to do. They immediately thought, let's see, we got, okay, there's 5,000 guys here. You give me something. There's 5,000 guys here. There's, there's, there's uh, wives, girlfriends, children, yeah. Uh, and let's see, boy, I think about eight months of wages to feed these people. 
So they, they go to Jesus and go, okay, it's going to take eight months of wages. We figured that out. Is that what you want us to do? This is the Abraham-Sarah thing, the Abraham-Sarah syndrome. It's, it's God coming along and saying, you're going to have a child. And Sarah going, well, let's see, we went to the fertility clinic. We've, we've done the dances. We, we read the books. And nothing is working. Oh, I've got an idea. Hagar, legally, yeah, we can, we can make it happen this way. Oh, come on. We don't make it happen. They come to Jesus and they say, we've got, we've got, uh, we need eight months of, of a man's wages. Uh, should we go and buy food? But Jesus didn't tell them to buy food. Your, their benefit cost analysis was of no use to him. He said, what do you have? Look at what you have. And you know what they had. They had five loaves and they had two fish. Oh, John is the one who tells us that it was two small fish. And I, I have to find that amusing. I mean, two small fish. Okay, let's see. These are two pounders. Boy, if we just had 10 pounders. So only 5,000 people here and 18 more, uh, 16 more pounds of fish would really do us a lot of good. Get out. <laughs> Too small fish. Get over it. Uh, so they come to him and, and we don't have much. Now here's, here's the deal. Clearly the resources they seem to have weren't enough. Ever been there? Clearly the resources they seem to have weren't enough. And that's always the way that it is when we're just looking at the resources that we can touch and count and see and put our hands on. But they had some other resources here. Uh, they had, like, Jesus. It's a pretty good resource to have when you're, when, you're, when you're needing something done. And then even beyond that, they had His Word. He said, you give them something to eat. That's God's Word. God told them to do that. It, 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 God's Word does not return void. It always accomplishes everything that it sets out to do. It's what the prophet Isaiah says. And so they're sitting there and they've, and they've got God's, God's Word. When God tells you to do something, I mean, M Moses, you know, God finally came to Moses and said, go and deliver Israel. And he goes, I can't deliver Israel. I, I've tried it. He says, what do you have? I've got a staff and a stutter. I've got a staff and a stutter. What can I do with that? That's enough. Let's go. Gideon. Gideon had, had 300 guys. I mean, if, if, if Peter's idea of the 12, these untrained guys with a couple of swords taking on a small army was a, was a ridiculous idea. What about 300 guys taking on an army that was too large to number? But you see, God had told him to do it and to take these 300 and do it with them. So when you have God's Word, things, things happen. David, David had five stones. He had five smooth stones. That was it. You know, and, he's, and he's fighting, fighting this giant. This, talk about a hill to climb. This is, this is a hill to climb. David, that's, you know, that's not enough. You need, you need some armor. 
You need, uh, you need a helmet. You need, you need a, a shield. You, gotta, you can't just go into this thing half-cocked with five stones going after a giant. I, I can't climb a hill in armor and with a shield and, and, and with a helmet. I mean, I, I know the, the, the oh, uh, helmet of salvation, the shield of faith. What's that called? The, the armful armor of God. Yes. Okay. Very good. Yeah. Just, I was having one of those, I was having one of those senior pastor moments. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm glad, glad you're with me. Glad you guys are on my team. Because uh, I was going to have to look this up. But they weren't talking about the armor of God. They were talking about the armor of man. You don't have to have a lot of resources when God tells you to do something. God doesn't get glory by having great people do great things. God doesn't get glory by having using great resources to accomplish great results. God gets glory by having humble people do great things. And, and, and taking humble resources and, and accomplishing great results with it. God asks us to do the easy part. He does the hard part. Was anybody here and really here and hearing last week when we were? Two important points, though. First of all, and I'm, and I'm really just reiterating because I've been saying this, if God has spoken, resources are not the issue. Uh, the last couple of years, I've been, I've been telling people, if God has told you to take one of these mission trips or something of that nature, I mean, that, that's just an example. But if God has told you to do that, you don't look and go, wow, that trip's $2,500. There's no way I can come up with $2,500. Well, no, you can't, but that's not the point. The point is, did he tell you to do it or not? If he told you to do it, you know, if you could come up with the $2,500, you might go even if he don't want you to. That's been done before. But when he tells you to do something, then that's, that's what you, you step out and he'll, you know, he'll, he'll provide. Uh, Chris and uh, over in South Africa and Seth over in Australia, I, I know both of them, when they first begin to feel like this is what God wants me to do, they both went, there ain't no way I can make this happen. Yes! That's why Chris is now in South Africa and Seth is now in Australia. Because there was no way in the world they could make that happen. And, 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 they've, and they've both kind of gone, you know, sort of on a shoestring budget. But you know what I'm looking forward to? That while they're there, God is just going to whoosh, whoosh. Uh, you know, it, it's not, it doesn't matter how much was pledged or not pledged. What matters is what actually comes in. And that's what God takes care of. Okay, now this, is, this we knew, right? The second one, I'm going to have to kind of walk you through because the second one is if God has not spoken you must learn to punt you know what punt is right you you kick the ball instead of running another play it's kind of like okay plan b or, or whatever that is and you kind of go, okay, and, and this is the reason why I kind of walk you through it, because I'm not talking about giving up on something God has told you. But I'm talking about that place where you cross the line between holding on to faith 
and you cross over into the territory where you're just being stubborn and proud and don't want to admit you were wrong. Because sometimes we miss it. Sometimes we miss it. We do. Uh, I've missed it at times. Maybe, maybe this week. I don't know. You know, when I, when I get to heaven, if God wants to sit down and tell me about it, then I'll find out all the times that I missed it. But hopefully, He's got better things to do with me when I get there <laughs> than that. And I don't think I really necessarily want to know, because I think if we did know, it would break our hearts. But sometimes we do. You know, and when you do, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay to go, all right, you know, I really thought that was God, but, you know, I, I need to go back and get closer to God. I need to go back and be able to hear from Him. Because the dumbest thing I've ever heard a preacher say, and he was my pastor, but he wasn't who you think he is. So those of you who know some of my former pastors. But the dumbest thing that I've, never, that I've ever heard a pastor say was, I'd rather be two steps ahead of the Holy Ghost than two steps behind him. And I thought, oh, if you're two steps ahead of the Holy Ghost, who's leading? Now, I know what he was saying. What he was saying is, you know, get up and get going and do something for God. Well, yeah, get up and get going. A lot of us have a problem with inertia and with, with just being lazy and we're just kind of, kind of sitting there. So, yeah, you stir that up. But you don't do that by trying to jump out ahead. You don't kind of go, well, God, if you're not giving me something to do, I'll go make something up. No, that won't accomplish anything for anybody. It won't. And so if you find yourself in a situation where you thought God had said, and He didn't, punt, you know, go back to this, go back to where you know He was. That was good. You know, go back to where you know, to, to the square where you missed, where you missed, and wait, and find out where the next square is. That's what you do, and it's okay. It's absolutely okay. And there's really... There's really no shame in it. Virtually everybody in, in the Bible, the only, one who, the only one who didn't find himself in that situation at some point was Jesus. And the ones that we don't know much about. So the disciples, from their viewpoint, they, they, they ended up with more than they started out with, which is also another, another thing that often happens to us when we listen to God and do what He says. We've got to fly on here to the people's perspective, though. First of all, they ate and were satisfied. And, you know, when God cooks the meal, it's good. Good. It's good. But we don't stay satisfied long. I mean, our satisfaction, our satisfaction quotient is about as long as our, as our attention span. And oftentimes even shorter. And, we tend to, instead of just being able to enjoy being satisfied, and look, I'm not talking about getting planted and getting in a rut where you're just going to stay there because this, this is just so good. But instead of being able to just truly enjoy the, good, the fact that God's done something good for us, we have a tendency to, to go, okay, now I gotta, what am I going to do with it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, my dog, Peanut. Is, everybody loves peanut. 
uh, everybody who's seen Peanut loves Peanut. Because Peanut, when he comes up to you, he just, he dances like that. You know, he's just so excited to see you. He just can't be still. And that's, you know, that's kind of cool until it's not. <laughs> but here's the other thing about Peanut. If I pick him up, I mean, you could wave a hamburger in front of his nose. And that's just a hamburger. He's being held. He's content. He loves it. So when I put him down, when I pick him up, <laughs> when we get, you know, and there are, place, there are times when God is picking us up. And we're going, <laughs> you know. No, chill. Chill. And, and, and so God does something great for us, and, and we get real excited, and we tend, to, we tend to jump in one direction or the other. John tells us that after Jesus did this, the people decided that they were going to make Jesus their king. So we, one of the things that we do is we tend to jump to conclusions. Now, let me just say a word or two about making Jesus uh, king. That's an absurd notion. Because, first of all, you, you can't make Jesus king. He is king. Because if you can make him king, then you can unmake him king. And you can't do that. And then, second of all, you don't tell the king what to do. He tells you what to do. You don't tell him, hey, it's time for you to go be king. It's not your job. Your job is, is to let him tell you. And you listen. So they were going to make Jesus king, uh, <laughs> and they jumped to conclusions. And, and we, have a, we, have a, we have a tendency. We have a tendency to do that. God does something great in our lives, and the next thing you know, wow, God just did this great thing. I, I, must, be, I must be called to preach. I must be called to be a missionary. I must be called to be a, 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 a what's another, uh, an evangelist. You know, I must be called to be a prophet. That's what I'm called, yes. I'm called to be a prophet. And maybe you are, but not because God just did something good for you. Just once, I would love to have somebody have this wonderful encounter with God and come to me and go, Pastor, Pastor, I know what God has called me to do. I'm a nursery worker. Nobody ever says that. Nobody ever says, God has called me to cut the grass. God has called me to be a greeter. You know what? The church needs more nursery workers than it does pastors. So why isn't God calling? Or maybe He is. But we get excited and we jump to conclusions and we come up with these grandiose things and I have seen so many train wrecks in people's lives because they have decided before God actually said anything, that this is what God had said. Hmm. I hope that wasn't misunderstood. If it is, you can make an appointment and talk to Barbie. So one tendency that we have is to, is to jump to 
conclusions and another tendency that we have is to, to jump to, what have you done for me lately? Doesn't take long to get there either. John tells us over in John chapter 6 that the day after Jesus fed the 5,000, they came back going, more bread. And when they did, Jesus offered them the real stuff. He said, your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and died. The bread that I offer, you can eat and live forever. The bread that I offer is real food. I'm the bread of heaven. That wasn't what they were looking for. That wasn't what they wanted. They left him because what he offered was not what they had in mind. Be careful of wanting anything more than him. God does something big in our lives. God does something good in our lives. And we have a tendency to go, do it again. More of that. You know, and that's okay. It's all right. But don't get hung up there. Don't get stuck there. And beware. Jacob's wife, Rachel, was unable to have children. And Leah was having children, and Rachel couldn't have children. And the handmaidens started having children. Rachel couldn't have children. She finally had a child. She named him Joseph. He, he was a hoss. This was a good one. But the Bible says that she named him Joseph, saying, may the Lord give me another one. It's literally what she was saying. Uh, and eventually, a few years later, the Lord did. And it cost her her life. She died in childbirth, giving birth to her second son. She named him Ben-Omi, meaning the son of my sorrow. Jacob changed his name and said, no, no, we're not calling him that. And he named him Benjamin. But she got more. And so sometimes more is not what we need. More of that what we always need is more of Him. Beware, be careful about wanting more of anything besides Him. When uh, Margaret and I first got married, we started a, a tradition, we started a custom that we still, still follow. Before we, before we eat, I'll read a psalm. Uh, if we're at home, you know, I don't do that at Salvo's Pizza or anything, but uh, or over at Raz. I, I, I don't do that, but because uh, that would be a little. Well, if God told me to do it, I'd do it. But I mean, uh, otherwise, it, you know, it's just a little, a little over the top. He hadn't told me to do it, okay? But at home, I do, and usually it's a rather short song because I like food hot. <laughs> yeah. But that's okay, because you end up, if you do that for a few years, you end up learning a lot of psalms. Because there's a bunch of shorties in there. And uh, if you want to know where some of them are, just ask me. I'll, I can point some of them out to you. One of my favorite is one of the shortest in all of Scripture. Uh, and it's Psalm 131. And our kids probably have this 
memorized. They don't know they have it memorized, but they probably do have it memorized. But this is what Psalm 131 says. My heart is not proud, O Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. But I've stilled and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. Picks us up. Holds us close. We go, this is enough. When you're ready to send me out, I'll go. When you're ready to call me to the higher mountain peak, I'll go. But this is enough. If this is what you have for me from now on, this is enough. And when I get there, would you do this again? Because I just want to be close to you. And if I've missed your voice, and if I didn't understand what you were saying to me at some point in time, maybe just let me get close to you, and I'll learn how to hear you better. I'll learn what you really sound like, what, what really feels like you. Would you stand with me? Those who are going to pray with people, come forward. And if you need prayer, would you come forward? And I know in a room this size that there are some people, not because I've received a word, but because I know that there are some people who what you need is you need some clarity. You're in a situation where you're going, I think this is God. I, I, did I miss God here? I don't know if this is... I need to know. Well, you ask. You ask. So that would be a legitimate thing to come forward and ask for prayer for. Healing, salvation, finances, relationships. My eyes are dry. My faith is old. My heart is hard. My prayers are cold. Maybe you're in that situation. Whatever you need, you come. If you, if you don't need to come, you worship because we're going to create an atmosphere where the Holy Spirit can speak to people do stuff in people's lives.
redemption in your life may you follow his leading in your life may you allow his provision in your life may you share his love with your life in jesus name amen